2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The bull case for stocks, whether it is still intact as earnings season heats up. We'll ask the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Joe Terranova, Stephanie Link and Jim Leibniz, show you what the markets are doing. We are red across the board right now. There are your losses, Dow's down about a half percent. Nasdaq was in the green, not so much anymore. Uh, Joe, I feel like this is Waller giveth, Waller taketh away. Remember what he did to initiate the rally at the end of October? Maybe he's pouring a little bit of cold water on the idea of of, uh, all these cuts coming. He said a little bit ago, yeah, we can cut this year. No reason to move as quickly or cut as rapidly as in the past. The timing and number of cuts will be driven by incoming data. Yields went up a little bit and they're, uh, I don't know, 404. There There you go, 10 year.
3: I just wish we weren't in this place because there's been so much fundamental improvement uh, from the fourth quarter in 2023 to where we are now. There should be more excitement. There should be more of a risk on mentality. But we're in this place where we're debating whether or not we are going to have a March rate cut. And and I think that's going to hang over the market in a a way, in a mannerism, that it's going to be very choppy price action. And I think that's been evident over the last week. Um, Unfortunately, we've got to kind of get past that with some really, really strong earnings. And I don't know if you're going to get the really, really strong earnings until you hear from technology and mega caps. Because certainly last week, while there was some, some good earnings OK, to get excited about as it re- related to the banks, there wasn't enough there where we could say, OK, we're finally getting that broadening out, that dispersion trade that we got the glimpse of we were tempted by in the fourth quarter. problem misstep, we pulled a lot forward, didn't yeah. we? We rallied so hard,
2: so fast that, OK, we've been taking this pause. We've been chopping around, trying to figure out you know, where we are. Adam Parker, for example, makes the case, look, I'm still bullish. The, the bull story is intact. Doesn't matter how many times the Fed cuts or exactly when they start. The fact of the matter is they're going to be cutting yeah. and that's bullish and margins are going to hold up for a lot of companies and that's bullish. So there's no reason not to be bullish.
4: Right. And maybe we just pause until we get more of earnings. We've had less than 10% of the S&P 500 reports. So you can't make a conclusive decision at this point in time. Yeah, we rallied 9% from the October lows, and it did. we did see a broadening out. And that's kind of giving back a little bit. But Waller, the comment he said was, we're almost as good as it gets. That's pretty good. GDP is running to 2.5%. The consumer is hanging in there for now. I mean, I just go back to that Costco number and American Express today announcing loan US loan growth of 16% the consumers hanging in that's a big piece of the economy i think their savings rate of up 4.1% and money markets at 6 trillion mm-hmm. there is potential for money to come back as we gain that confidence about what the fed is going to do i do not think the fed is going in march no way we don't they don't need to. And I think that you're probably going to see three percent second half of the year. But I still think the market can grind higher because of what I just said about all that money on the side. Well, on. we got to
2: see what the other inflation reports are before now and then. The whole idea. Pretty good. Yeah. The base case anyway of the, the bulls at this point is that they're going to cut because they can not because they have to. You said I don't think they have to. Well, maybe they don't have to, but they can because, you know, inflation cooperates. So, Jimmy, UBS. They bump their price target on the S&P to 5150. You're at 51, 5100, okay? The, The line in their note that I like the best is where they say the upside case becomes the base case. Upside becomes the base case. So they raise their target from 4850 to 5150. They take their earnings EPS up to 235 from 225. Do you agree with that comment? Upside case becomes the base case?
5: Um, maybe not as strongly as that. Let me just back off just a scooch from that, because here's what I would say. I wake up this morning, I acknowledge the market's heavy, and it's not just, all right, the S&P 500 is kind of flat on the year, but the more risk-oriented sectors of the market are down, right? Uh, small caps are down, whatever they're down, 3% year-to-date. So th- this is a heavy market, and I think about what's going to snap it out. I-, I see more positives than negatives, but the negatives, we've got to acknowledge them. Geopolitics are a mess. I mean, we've got military conflicts all over the place with the potential for more. So that's not something to be trivialized. On the other hand, economic strength here in the U.S. is, is large in a condition where the Fed is going to ease. I don't know when. I don't know if it's March, Steph. I don't know. But they are easing. And in this, in this regard, I'm with Adam Parker on this, that the, the tone has changed. This is going to be a year that is not about the Fed the way the last two years were, because we're talking about rate cuts. We're no longer talking about rate hikes. We're even talking about tapering quantities quantitative tightening as the reserve repo market balance comes down so that's a tone change and in that tone change in order to get a rally good news has to come good news will be good news which means joe to your point earnings have to come through for me that's the thing i'm looking at i'm not questioning the strength in the economy in the economy it's there i'm not questioning the fed's going to cut rates they're going to but the question hangs you hope you hope. Okay, I'm being a little provocative, but... You hope. Yeah, they're, uh, sure. I never know the future with certainty. feel pretty strongly that they're going to cut yeah, rates but this the year. The GDP
4: of 2.5% GDP, that gets you a decent top-line number. Plus and the, the margin plus side the that margin. we've been talking about for so a while. Exactly, Steffi. Inflation. So
5: to answer your question... I think UBS is a little, you know, puffing their chest a little bit, but I, I can I can kind of get there. It has to come through in earnings. Has to come through in earnings. All That's right. what this year is
2: about. All right, Josh, your take. Your take is we look, we we eked out a gain last week, so we've been up ten of the last eleven, which is remarkable in and of itself. But now what?
0: Look at an, at an index level today. You, you can clearly see that while you've got some profit taking in some places, there are still plenty of stocks that are that are higher. But again, in, at the index level, it's just not necessarily uh, being represented that way. I think people just have to get used to that. You you can't expect every single day when you wake up for Microsoft and Apple to be racing to four trillion in market cap and pulling the rest of the market along with you. So you've got individual stories that just look incredible right now. NVIDIA and AMD stand out. These stocks just refuse to back off or or give up any of their gains. NVIDIA now 563, uh, AMD 158. Uh, That's its own world. That's its own story. Um, And those stocks are not necessarily dependent on the Microsoft Apple uh, index horse race. I find that to be really interesting. Another really interesting area to look at right now is healthcare. It's probably the most fascinating uh, contrarian play for 2024. It's somewhat defensive, but then there's a lot of growth. The biotech names in the last couple of weeks have gone vertical. Um, these stocks have sat out the rally for a long time, so I think that 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 we just have to like. Uh, reframe the conversation about what is the S&P doing today and start thinking more in terms of are there opportunities away from Apple, Microsoft? And if you can do that, uh, you'll take the red Mm -hmm. days as they come because they represent opportunity.
2: Well, you make a good point. The problem, Joe, is one that I know you've been thinking about is the idea of the broadening head fake and that the expected broadening is slow, slowing and it may not produce what people thought it would and thus we're going to be back to talking about the magnificent 7 and the 493 others
3: well i mean that's exactly where josh began his remarks josh is talking about apple and microsoft i understand you know stephanie's stephanie's point on the broadening out in the fourth quarter but what what i'm beginning to question is was the broadening out in the fourth quarter just a, a cyclical recovery in the context of a larger trend, which is a downtrend? Or was it an inflection point where you could really say to yourself, the broadening out is real, small caps are gonna perform, financials are gonna perform. And I have to tell you, in, in the days that have followed you should, the you money center banks- three.
2: You should consider choice three in that. In that it was nothing more than a positioning run for the for the money, but, at, at the end of the year, but, and that's it. And people tried to make it into
3: now. If it wasn't one of those, that's two. a great point. But if it wasn't just an exhibit in people chasing. Uh, towards the ends of the year. What you should have had in the early days of January, and as long as I've been in this business, the early days of January are very critical in providing insight where sentiment is, where's optimism. So where was the optimism? Where was the money flow, all that fresh capital flowing into small caps, flowing into materials, flowing into uh, financials? We just didn't see that, and, and I think the banks I'm sorry. I just think the banks were disappointing. I own Goldman Sachs. I own Morgan Stanley. I own J.P. Morgan. I think the price reaction to the banks was disappointing. Well, okay. Maybe Citi was good because the, the earnings were disappointing.
2: I was- I, so you make two
3: different. Okay, you can't say the banks were disappointing. Now the price, the
2: price, action. price action. The, in the price action has been disappointing. Yes. To which Kramer this morning suggested, "Well, the banks fall no matter what." Steph, um, you know, they ran a lot. He knew it. He said when J.P. Morgan reported what he said to be. Um, one of the greatest quarters ever, and then that stock rolled over. That was an early tell that no matter what these banks say, more or less, they're rolling. And you take a look at, there's JPM today, but you could show Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs as well. Whether they beat top and bottom, this, that, and the other thing, it hasn't really mattered today. There's Morgan Stanley down 4%.
4: So the stocks were up anywhere from 25 to 40% to from his the point lows. Too. They right. had to be perfect quarters. They had to beat expectations, not just meet expectations. And a lot of them just met expectations, including JP Morgan. Okay, fine. Maybe they had better in net interest income, a little bit better on the expense line, but it by no means was a blowaway quarter. So I don't know. I don't necessarily agree that it should have been up. I'm looking at something like Morgan Stanley which I cannot believe is down 4% when they act actually had far better than peer industry numbers in terms of M&A, fees, even thick, which was disappointing, but it was way better than the peers. You had wealth management fees actually up as well. So to me, the problem with Morgan Stanley is their expenses were up. And I also think the new CEO has to prove himself.
2: Didn't you you trim it, though? You're making the case for it, but you trimmed it.
4: I trimmed it. I trimmed it to buy something that we'll talk about later. Wealth management was up? What?
0: Or flat? Wealth they management beat. was up or flat. Wealth, Steph? Manage,
4: wealth management fees beat. They came in at forty-eight bips up, and expectations were up for twenty-four. So no, yeah, they actually did beat that number. It wasn't great by any means, they but it was beat it, but better. it was
0: flat year over year, right?
4: It, it, it beat is a beat. It doesn't matter. The People were expecting it to be down. No, I
0: disagree. Well, I disagree. All right, fine. The well, problem was the wealth management time. is fifty percent oh, oh, oh. of ahead, the Josh. business now and not growing.
4: A Nobody's not growing a in wealth management, oh. Josh. Come on, last year was horrific for wealth management. You know that just as well as I do. NNA numbers were horrific. And I think you're going to see comp- as you get through this year, you're going to start to see an improvement. And in fact, Schwab actually last month put up a 3.7% NNA number versus 1.7% the month before. And I actually do think you're going to see that, that the rest of the industry see a little bit better than last year. But the problem is, is the stock went from eleven times Morgan Stanley, eleven times to thirteen times, and it rallied twenty-six percent. Sure, into but the his
2: print. point is, is the bread and butter business of Morgan Stanley still? Hey, growing? Judge.
4: I do not think that it's the bread and butter business. It's Wealth like fifty-fifty. The capital markets is a big piece yeah, of their business. Yeah, but I mean, they've really,
2: they, they really put their, you know, have. hitch on. On hey, the Judge. Of, of wealth management. Yeah, I'll get you in a second, Josh, hang on. The
4: capital market right. is still a very big, important business for them. And they are actually outpunching their weight in that business. They gained market share. Wealth management is structurally last year, it had a lot of problems. And I think it is poised to actually improve as you go throughout this year. But my point being, why did I trim it? Because. It had run so much, it became a 600 basis point overweight position for me in my portfolio. Didn't want to do that going into the print. We talked about it last week. I was actually nervous about it a a bit. Uh, And uh, so I decided to trim it. And then I bought something else.
2: Okay. Josh, go ahead.
0: I'm sorry. Uh, The wealth management business at Morgan Stanley was challenged by the same thing, to Stephanie's point, that challenged everyone. Which is five percent risk-free rates, right. and everybody saw redemptions. Look, look, I mean, just look at BlackRock; uh, the, the money couldn't come out fast enough. So that was a secular, cha- that was a cyclical challenge for the whole industry. The bigger problem with Morgan Stanley is it's now half the business, and it's it's really where I think. Shareholders felt a lot of the more stable growth would come from. We all understand that underwriting is going to have ups and downs it's the nature of that business capital markets ups and downs. if they're not able to continue the growth at wealth management, the multiple should be lower let 's throw up a chart of Goldman Sachs because they didn't say the same thing Morgan Stanley said well, yeah, I don't even have a Goldman Sachs business. all of the The asset and wealth management division at Goldman Sachs, which the company is basically betting the farm on, revenue was up 23% year over year. Yes or no?
4: Goldman Sachs wealth management business is much smaller than Morgan Stanley's. It was up 23.
0: Asset and wealth management division up 23% year over year. That's all I'm saying. And Morgan Stanley's was flat.
4: It's a much smaller base. Josh, it, it is. I mean, talk about sure. capital markets. Like, sure. 80% of their profits come from investment investment sure, banking and capital be, markets.
2: Isn't it going to be a smaller base? Goldman will benefit. If you're looking to grow it? I mean, to me, I feel like we're talking past each other rather yeah. rather than like,
4: if rates like come a lot down, of value add on Scott, that. If rates come down, I think you will see cash sorting actually start to calm down a bit. And I think you will see NNA actually go up. It's not gonna be 9%, which is what it was two years ago for the industry, but it's gonna be better than 2%. And so to me, if you have other, right now you have other alternatives. Consumers have other alternatives because rates are so high. But as rates come down with a savings rate of 4.1% and 6 trillion in money markets, that money's gonna go somewhere.
2: Joe, why is Goldman up today
3: and the others are down? I own them both, recent purchases. Morgan Stanley is down, in my view, because the wealth management pre-tax margin was not 30%. The pre-tax margin was in the low 20s. I think it was 24%. And on the call, Ted Pick didn't give anyone any degree of confidence that it was quickly going to return to 30%. Josh and Stephanie have identified the reasons why. Goldman Sachs, David Solomon very clearly said capital market activity is improving. We feel good about it that's why old goldman sachs and i think that justifies why goldman sachs is higher all right your bank of choice is city right? It is. Uh, and second to that, I'd say BlackRock as well,
5: which also came up. Now, City, look, totally different business here. It is regular old commercial banking. It's treasury solutions. It's security processing. Yes, they have investment banking as well, but that's not really what they're known for. I think more than anything, the tone on Citigroup has changed. I think we all know that, right? Why has the tone changed? Because expenses are coming in. This has been the rub on Citigroup for years, that they, they are not profitable enough. So Jane Frazier has taken a hatchet uh, to the expense structure there. It's going to take a few years to play out, but people believe it at the same time this year that you're going to see the results from all the international business right-sizing that she's been doing. So I do like the Citigroup name here, the BlackRock name, and I know it came up in an earlier, earlier discussion. Look, if you have a thesis like I do that the markets in general, commodities, bonds, and stocks are going to be strong this year, that means assets under management at BlockRock are going to go up and the fees with it. We can argue about, hey, are people going to take money out of money market funds, put money into it? That, I think, misses the overall point is that this should be a strong year for the markets. I won't go into it more right.
2: than that. All right. So, Steph, you alluded to the fact that by trimming Morgan Stanley and Bank of America that you took that cash and you put it elsewhere. Yeah. The elsewhere is Home Depot, which right. you bought as a new a new buy. Yes. Why?
4: Last week. Well, I've been talking about it since December. Uh, I think I picked it as my final trade two times, even last week. um, I do think that the company this year set up to to do better. It was only up 10% last year, which is not terrible, but well below the market. And that's because they saw negative same store sales for the last four quarters. And I think you're getting towards the end of that. Um, and I think you have very easy comparisons. If rates do come down, I think mortgage applications go higher and, uh, and they'll benefit. But if, morga- if, if rates don't come down, I, th- I still think people want to renovate uh, their homes. And this company is so profitable. Even in the downturn, their margins are expanding. So I also like the fact that their inventories are coming down. Uh, and again, as easy same-store-sale comparisons going forward is a really big deal. I don't know, Scott, if they do it next quarter. It may take two quarters. But I think the expectations are really low Mm -hmm. um, and it's just best in best in breed on sale. We got
2: upgraded today by Piper to overweight from neutral. They go 400 bucks on the target. You got a take on this on HD?
3: Well, HD has developed really strong momentum. It's interesting because also Lowe's was included on that. Lowe's from a valuation perspective is much cheaper than Home Depot. But I agree with Stephanie, I would go in the direction of Home Depot. I really wouldn't go in the direction of, of homes on the potential home improvement.
2: I'm glad you brought that up, the fact that they, and they say, after more than four years of preferring Lowe's to Home Depot. They think uh, Home Depot's margin setup is better positioned.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think Four the— Four pre- years is a long time to be it, in it, it on is. one stock over the other. It is, but the premium valuation that Home Depot is being afforded, I, th- I think, is warranted. Um, I, I, I like their business model better, and I think their capture is going to be much stronger if, in fact, that home improvement trend begins to evolve as we move into the spring and there's a c- excitement that it's going I to. I think
4: both are going to work. You think but both d- will work? I do, but I think—I like Home Depot better, obviously, but I think both mm-hmm. are going to work. All
3: right, so— uh, that's a good segue for
2: us, Steph. Uh, in terms of both going to work, um, let's look at Apple and Microsoft because we've been tracking the market cap battle, which has been Apple's. Right? They've had the top spot for a long time now until Friday's close, where Microsoft was slightly ahead of that, and I believe it still is, uh, as those stocks are, are vying for that top spot. As of eleven thirty, Microsoft was two point nine one trillion, Apple was two point eight four. Now you have this report. That the uh, iPhone is being cut, the price cuts in China amid demand fears there. We've heard about market share losses, et cetera, around the iPhone in, in, in China. Which is interesting, Josh, what's your take on this? Yeah, I don't care about the three trillion so much as they battle back and forth, but look, Apple has been uh, a, a real good battleground stock since the very beginning of. The year, it has not traded well. Technically, it's looked bad. You've had a couple of downgrades, more than you normally would see, maybe two or three. Um, but what now is it gets reiterated by Deutsche and 200 bucks is the price target for them?
0: Look, I think you can own both stocks. I don't think you have to pick a, a one over the other. In fact, most investors have exposure to both just by virtue of index funds or active managers who are chasing index funds. We all own these stocks. Um, What's interesting about Apple versus Microsoft is that the trend has reversed in the last three years relative to the last 20. We took a look at this, going back 10 years, Apple's market cap has been larger than Microsoft's for 2,225 trading days out of 2,500. So 88% of the time, Apple has been the bigger stock. Over the last uh, 20 years, uh, Apple has done 37% a year versus Microsoft 17. But in the last three years, Microsoft has been the better performer, and there are some reasons why, um, but I think when you are now looking at the opportunity, which one of these do I want to own more of, or Mm -hmm. which one of these do I want to be overweight or underweight relative to the index, Microsoft is probably in the driver's seat for this year. This is going to be a huge year for AI. It's not that Apple won't play there, it's that they're just not associated with it. Uh, and Microsoft has already been pulling a lot of important levers to make sure that they are uh, at the forefront of a lot of what investors are going to be looking for. So I, I think that that's really how that question will be answered this year. I want you to answer another one, um, Josh, because I,
2: Barron's, you know, they, they're like, okay, we're going super provocative this week. They they say they're going to build a better Magnificent Seven. So they take out Apple, and they take out Tesla. And they take out Meta and they say, "Okay, now it's Berkshire, Visa and UNH replacing those three. I know you own Berkshire, so you got a dog in in that fight. But but what do you make of that? That just because the MAG-7 was what it was last year doesn't mean that it needs to be the exact same this year. Sure, some stocks in it may do well, but not all.
0: Oh, I agree. And uh, these are individual companies with their own individual cash flows and their own individual valuations. And there is no rule on the books that they all have to go up or down or that they all have to move for the same reasons. So I totally agree with that. Uh, Barron's is writing for an older, more value-oriented audience. So it totally makes sense for them to pull out Tesla and put in United UnitedHealth. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't hate the idea. I think as an investors, we should get less excited about acronyms or groupings and just really focus on what we're doing and why. Uh, and a lot of times when you do that, you start to realize a lot of these uh, contrived, you know, um, like uh, groupings of stocks, really are coming from a place of like journalistic interest, more so than they're coming from the perspective of what makes sense for my portfolio. Okay. Yes, we need a term to write about these unbelievable performers in a catch-all kind of way—that shorthand—and everyone knows what we're talking yeah, well, about. Yeah, it's worked. I don't it's have a problem with that, but it's that's worked. not how you invest. I got you, but
2: it's
3: worked, right? Fang,
2: Mag, yeah, Seven. What, but, I, but you get the point.
3: I just want to point out one thing. Last thing, quick, what, quick on Apple. Here's a really interesting—and look, don't, don't start sending me stuff on social media. These are just the technical facts. Number one, it's approaching the 200-day moving average. Take, take that, however you want. But more importantly, last July the Nasdaq came out of its earnings recession. You finally had earnings growth. Take the MAG-7. Every stock, MAG-7, is above where it was when the NASDAQ broke out in July, except Apple. Apple is the one name that is below where it was in July. Everything else has broken out. All right. It is uh, down today by just shy of 2%. We'll take a quick break. When we come back,
2: more stocks on the move today. A pop for Synopsys. Got a deal, some deal talk there. We'll trade it because we have ownership. We got a drop for PayPal. Those trades and more just ahead. And later on, legendary energy trader Mark Fisher, he's going to join us live. We'll get his commodities playbook for 2024. Nat Gas is an interesting play today. Oil's moving as well. We're back in two.
3: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit
0: ODFL.com to learn more.
2: Let's get to some stocks on the move now. Synopsys is higher today after announcing a $35 billion deal to buy graphics software maker Ansys. You happen to own Synopsys.
3: So Synopsys and Cadence Design Systems both have been in the JOT ETF since in November of 2020. And I think what's really compelling and important for the viewers to understand is what these companies actually do, because we talk so much about semiconductors and about the relevance of semiconductors advancing the innovation from artificial intelligence to Generative AI. These are the companies that make the software that you need to actually produce a semiconductor itself. These companies have been in absolutely the sweet spot. They've been rallying, and now in the case of Synopsys, able to utilize the revenue growth and the cash availability to go out and acquire a company like Anastas. All
2: right, let's let's talk PayPal uh, because it got downgraded today. Josh, I'm coming to you on this. Mizuho takes it to neutral from buy. Price target to 65 from 72. Our data suggests that market share loss to Apple Pay looks increasingly challenging. There's the stock down near 4% today. What's interesting too is to look at the way the analysts have rated this stock from two years ago, January of 22 uh, versus today. January of 22, you had 40 buys or overweights. Today, you only have 23. January of 22, you only had seven holds. Today, you have 23. What's your take?
0: So this is Dan Dolev, and uh, in my view, he is among the finest of um, fintech analysts. And Dan is pointing out that the pressure, the competitive pressure that PayPal has felt uh, in e-commerce, their share of checkout, uh, continues to get worse, according to his checks. Apple is just... Apple is just blowing, blowing them out of the water, basically. And that's been going on for years, so it's not news. What is news here is uh, Dan has been one of the analysts that's been willing to say, okay, we understand the competitive situation, but the stock's already come down a lot and maybe we're overly discounting that threat. And today it seems like he's throwing in the towel and, and giving up on that idea. So uh, yeah, look, that's the story with the stock. They've lost $300 billion worth of market cap already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, the threat is, I think the threat is well understood. I think the only debate now is, can PayPal find growth or can they not? The stock currently is being priced for zero growth, none. If they find something to do, then all of a sudden the story changes. And if they don't, stock remains right where it is or worse. Jimmy, NXP goes to overweight from equal at
2: Barclays price target to 260 from 200. That's you.
5: Yeah, there's competing narratives in this semiconductor uh, application for automotive space. Uh, one narrative is what we saw from Mobileye a week ago, where they pre-announced and they pre-announced really, really badly. Uh, so some people think that extends to the entire semiconductor for automotive application space. Then there are people like me who have the competing narrative that say if you look at auto demand, if you look at the need to replenish inventories on dealer lots, then the mobile eye situation is specific to mobile eye, and a company like NXP is very, very undervalued relative to the production of autos that's going to continue to go on.
2: Steph, take Target, upgraded today to overweight from equal. Uh, Morgan Stanley, attractive investment they call it. Price target to 165 from 140. Is this thing turned around? Because I mean, the stock, <laughs> the stock's turned around. Yeah, I know. The stocks up a lot in a short period of time. It's
4: up 34% from the lows. Is that deserved? I'm not crazy about the upgrade here, but it is still down 11% in the past year. And I do think the expectations for top line revenue growth of just 1%, that's been de-risked. Now it's all about margin. And as inventories come down, maybe they can get a handle on shrink, which is a big question mark, but they do have a big cost cutting program. So if you think that maybe they grow 1% revenues, margins can actually see expansion. You've got operating leverage and possibly a $10 a share earnings power, which puts it at 13 times. So it's still pretty cheap.
6: Okay,
2: let's get the headlines now. With Coombs. Hey, Bartha.
6: Hi, Scott. The search continues for two Navy SEALs who have gone overboard during a mission in the Gulf of Aden on Thursday. In a statement today, CENTCOM said the mission found Iranian missile parts bound for Houthi rebels in Yemen in a Somali boat, which are the same type of weapons the rebels have used to attack shipping vessels in the Red Sea. The U.S. Supreme Court said today that it will stay out of the fight over bathroom access for transgender students, rejecting an appeal from an Indiana school district. The rejection leaves in place a ruling that allowed a transgender boy to use the bathroom in accordance to his gender identity in a middle school. The decision keeps litigation in lower courts for now. And Philadelphia Eagles center Jason Kelsey reportedly told his team he is retiring. League sources tell ESPN that Kelsey, who is considered one of the best centers in the NFL NFL history, made the announcement in the locker room after the Eagles wildcard playoff loss to Tampa Bay last night. Scott, I guess maybe he'll be joining Taylor Smith, Taylor Swift to watch his brother in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a big matchup, the Bills yeah. versus the Chiefs.
2: No doubt about that. Uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. We uh, congratulate him on a great career, of course, if, if in fact it is true that he's retiring. Bertha, thanks. Coming up, trade school is in session. Josh Brown says there is a, quote, guaranteed bull market in one sector. He'll tell us where that is and the stocks he is betting on to play it for back in just two minutes. Welcome back. A guaranteed bull market. That is what Josh Brown is calling one particular sector. All right, Josh, give us the reveal. Uh,
0: I think cybersecurity is is guaranteed to grow uh, much larger overall than it is right now. I'm looking at the whole list of forecasts from all of the research firms, um, from Gartner to McKinsey. uh, And obviously, the, the McKinsey study is probably the most outrageous they're talking about a 150 billion dollar industry growing to 2 trillion 1.5 to 2 trillion dollars which would be a 10x uh, from what we're spending globally annually on on cyber and it's important to point out there are a lot of different areas within cyber um, but like one of the more relevant pieces worth talking about identity and access management Last week, there was a government agency hacked on the eve of uh, Bitcoin ETF approval. Um, that's, that's, that's simply companies making sure that the people who are accessing different systems are the right people. Uh, that's a huge business in and of itself, 50 to 100 billion. But when we're talking about all of cybersecurity and we're thinking about the publicly traded options to invest in the space, there are some incredible companies I was talking to uh, Dan Ives last week about it. He's really excited about CyberArk. We talked about CrowdStrike, which was the best performer last year. Um, Fortinet is out there. Palo Alto, which Dan calls a double table pounder. Mm-hmm. These have been amazing stocks. The question is, like, can they go even higher? I think if you believe the McKinsey study and you believe 1.5 to 2 trillion, um, they don't put a time limit on it. Uh, then most of these stocks probably can continue to work. Mm -hmm. And so it's an area that I think more investors should be focused on. Steph, you are. uh, Fortinet
1: is the
2: uh, play of choice, correct?
4: It is. It's its been the weak link, if you will. Um, it really had a tough year last year. Are
2: you looking at any others in the space?
4: No, because I actually think there's real value to be had in Fortinet. I think it's so off the radar screen because they disappointed so poorly last year, where they missed two quarters in a row and load lower, lowered billings and bookings numbers. So numbers have come down. I think they've reset. Uh, to Josh's point, I mean you're at a 120 billion dollar total addressable market today, growing substantially. We don't really know what the number is, but we hear about cybersecurity issues all the time. Even the cybersecurity companies are having cyber attacks. So it is going to grow. um, And I I believe that Fortinet, they do have a price performance advantage, but they do have to right the ship. So I'm willing to to hold on to this one because the entire group, I think, continues to move much higher.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is the the laggard by a lot, right? When you you look at, you know, these stocks have all done really well in tandem. This one remains 23 and a half, hang on, 23 and a From its 52-week high, everything is basically there. Um, yeah, Josh.
0: Can we, can we do a couple of tickers? Because there are some names in this group that we never talk about. Yeah, let's these do charts, it. These charts are bananas. Let, let's put up CHKP. This is Checkpoint Software Technologies. This is one of the oldest granddaddies of cybersecurity, uh, back when we used to actually use the term cyber. Uh, this stock did nothing for a decade, and now look at it. It's going absolutely crazy. This is like the value play in the space. It's 17 times forward earnings. People thought of Checkpoint as a perennial share donor, meaning the new companies would just keep taking business from them. Something's changing there. Let's do Palo Alto. Joe Joe should probably talk more about the stock than I should because I know he's made money there. Look, I mean, look at this. Look at this chart. Where are the sellers? Uh, and, then, and then just one more, Cyber Arc, which I don't know that well. Uh, this, is in, this, is like, this is moving with the AI stocks. Very important to point that out. The stock made a high in 2021, spent like the next two years consolidating. And at the end of like Thanksgiving week, it just it broke out and it just has not looked back. I don't know if I wanna buy all of these at all time highs, but these tickers need to be on people's screens.
3: Yeah, Um, we're looking at a one year of of, of CyberArk. Checkpoint. Checkpoint we have in the Jyoti ETF. We've owned that for some time in addition to Palo Alto, um, Fortinet, and then obviously I own CrowdStrike personally. Um, Hack, which is the cyber. ETF is another way that you could play what Josh is talking about. And obviously, I agree with him. Just keep in mind, the expense fee is a little bit rich. I think it's about 60 basis points.
2: All right, coming up, we're going to get the trade on commodities, too. Nat gas down 10% as we speak. Crude oil is hovering in the low 70s. We hear from legendary commodities trader Mark Fisher on where the energy market might head from here. Half times back just after this break. We're back. Nat gas. Well, it's sinking today down more than 11%. It's been a rough start to the year, too, for commodities with crude oil stuck in the 70s. Joining us now to discuss how to play it is MBF Clearing Corporation founder and CEO Mark Fisher. Fish, welcome back. Happy New Year. Good to see you.
8: Hey, hey what's up, Scott? Is Josh there with you today?
2: Josh is there. Josh is here. He's just on remote like you. <laughs> hey, Mark. <laughs> hey, Josh. Hey, let's start with net gas. Um, so when I heard it was down a lot, I'm like, I don't know why, why is that if it's so cold here in so many other places? Wouldn't you think it would be up?
8: A lot. What's what's the story? Well, first of all, you know this theory that whatever makes sense never makes money, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's first of all.
2: All right, so make sense of all, it for us.
8: Right. Second of all, last week over this web over this past weekend, the, the price of natural gas in January was probably trading around eight, nine dollars. While the futures for the next month were trading, you know, three thirty. So again, you have this disconnect that now that the weather's actually here and the weather looks a little warmer in the next 10 to 15 days, people are pricing, pricing in the expectation of what's going to happen 10 days from now. That's what's going to happen over the next four or five days because that's the spot market and not the futures market.
2: Is there, like, what's the, what's the top end here? Um, I mean, I, I just remember it wasn't that long ago where some of the predictions for where gas was going to go, I should preface that by saying not that long ago, you know, like a year and a half ago. We're talking about double digits, and here we are under
8: three bucks. Right. Well, the market, well, the whole world's getting spoiled by cheap natural gas, which eventually, once we ramp up LNG about a year from now, a year and a half from now, these days will all be over. But more importantly than that, Scott, there's an interesting opportunity coming up because, first of all, you had this rebalancing going on at the beginning of the year, which added all these what I call permalongs to Nat Gas and to corn and some other grains, where basically, because of the rebalancing that took place, you have all these. Money, this passive money that's now, for lack of better in natural gas and in grains for the remainder of the year, unless people get out of the GSCI and the Bloomberg index, which means that unlike other times when people would go ahead and liquidate their longs on weakness, these this passive money never gets out for the whole year. That's the first thing. Second of all, once this um, three to four-day period of passive UNG money is over, rolling right, I, the risk reward to being short. February natural gas is just not there because why would you go ahead and be short FebNAC gas in the last week of when it becomes really prompt and becomes there when you can go ahead and risk another polar vortex, which just ha- which is happening now, mm-hmm. come in February, which would be even worse, and you could probably risk losing $4, $5 to make 30 cents. It, it doesn't make any sense. To me. So what about oil? What What's the best way for our viewers to think about
2: crude if not invest around it.
8: I think the best way to trade crude oil is to trade the products and not to trade crude. I think heating oil and and, and uh, gasoline along with di- uh gas oil offer the most bang for your buck, the most volatility again because um there's no new refineries because if you look at the cracks they've held up pretty well. If you look at the uh refining stocks they've done pretty well, you know, um, and so I would more focus on the refined products as opposed to crude oil, which kind of acts counterintuitively that when there's, you know, political turmoil in, in the Middle East and everything, you know, th- th- those markets don't usually re- respond positively. But yet the cracks tend to work better. Okay, but to so- me, the layup for the next week in, in terms of just to me, is by the end of this week, I would think that the risk reward of being long that gas and being long grains is probably a three-to-one trade to, to, to the long side. So that's
2: oh, wow. what I'm giving you up. Okay, um, all right, so then Joe, take what Fish says from the, the product, if you will, uh, standpoint, and then actiona- make it actionable for equity
3: standpoint. Simple, Marathon Petroleum Corp. <laughs> top performing energy stock in 2023, top performing energy stock so far in 2024. You could look towards Valero, which I own. That's another way to play what Mark's talking about. Josh,
2: real quick, because we got to bounce. If you got, if you got a way to play it.
0: I think I just want to be long to producers. I, I own the IEO ETF. It's, it's the simplest way for me because I'm an equity guy, not a commodity guy. I got you. Hey, Fish, thank you.
2: we got to run. We'll see you soon. I appreciate uh, you coming on today very much. Thank you. Happy, Happy New year. year. All right. You as well. That's Mark Fisher. Up next, Mike Santoli has his midday word. We're back. Uh, there's your intraday of the 10-year note yield. And you can see it's at the highs of the session, 4.07 and a half. Uh, Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, is here for his midday word. So you can't say that Waller matters when he helps you out (laughs) and then say he doesn't matter when he hurts you a little bit. And I think that what we just showed is a Waller bounce. in the yield.
1: Largely, yes. And and the bond market is also a little jumpier than you'd want to see. Volatility is a little bit squirrely at the moment. So I think people are kind of aware that we have a delicate spot. We're undergoing a little bit of a rethink. And yes, Waller matters on both sides of it. But the initial position of the market matters a lot, too. And I think right now what you have is uh, pretty much everybody gathered together and saying soft landing, huge confidence on the disinflation story. March rate cut is looking more likely than not. So we have a lot of things along that line you can be tested on. Uh, So I think that's what's going on right now. And I also think it's very nuanced. I don't happen to think that March cut is make or break for the stock market, but there are enough people who think it is that in the short term it is. Um, so I think that's where you where you come down, and and there's just internal equity correction going on too that the market's trying to keep at an internal level. Today, 85 percent of New York Stock Exchange volumes to the downside. Okay, this is a pullback day, but it's just not as far, as, as closely reflected in the S and P because you got Microsoft and Nvidia. Up. Do
2: you, Do you think it's a building effort among? Um, the central bankers to talk the market off the
1: idea that March is, is realistic. Or at it least, of, it almost feels that way. Or at least say we have two months. Of numbers that is going to determine whether March happens or not. And so, yes, I do think that there is a sense out there of we want to preserve optionality. We don't want the market to become a runaway train in one direction. Uh, but I don't think this is a heavy pushback. I mean, he's basically saying no, the conditions not. are there and we'll and we'll wait and see. Look, what you basically said before, is yeah, just the market exactly. took the leap. That's what it is.
2: That's the initial conditions. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll see how closing, Bill. That's Mike Santoli. We'll do finals next. All right, 3 o'clock Eastern, closing bell. Hope you'll join me then. John Mowry, Cameron Dawson, and the Dean of Valuation, Oswalt and of NYU joins us. Tell us whether he thinks the market's fairly valued, given all, everything going on, where rates are. Rates moving up, as we just showed you. All right, finals. Josh Brown, you first.
0: Another new record high for Uber. They're closing down the Drizzly app and instead bringing alcohol delivery into the main app. This is smart. Market likes it.
2: All right, as long as you can get it, right? I mean... Does it matter what the color of the bag looks
5: that's when they right. bring it? <laughs> Give me that hooch. <laughs> Jimmy. Visa, just one of those quiet, strong performers should continue as the economy hangs in there. All right. The Linkster.
4: GE Healthcare, mid-single-digit organic growth, margin expansion, 13% CAGR on earnings.
3: All right. Joe T. I still think the SMH and semiconductors themselves are the place to be as long as the yields are going to press higher. All right.
2: Well, NVIDIA is hanging in there, that's for sure. It's uh, It's in the green today.
4: completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such to view the full halftime report disclaimer please visit cnbc.com forward slash halftime report disclaimer
2: from pit lane to podium the las vegas grand prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve